Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're getting ready for Pesach, and I just want to begin with a, a Baal Shem Tov teaching that I heard Reb Shlomo say. Not really on the subject of Pesach, but just, you know, if you look in the Medrash, they talk about how the heads of all the ancient rabbinic academies would begin their talks on the holidays, and they would pluck a verse from Tehillim, from the Psalms, or from Kehelis, from Shlomo Amelech. And even though there was no direct connection between the holiday and this verse that they were quoting, nonetheless, they felt that this really inspired an entire approach to everything. So in that very rich tradition, I offer this teaching. Again, it's from the Baal Shem Tov. He said the following, who is the worst person of this group? Okay? The good person who thinks he's bad, the good person who thinks he's good, the bad person who thinks he's good, or the bad person who thinks he's bad? Who is the worst of that group? And the answer is the good person who thinks he's good. And I heard Reb Shlomo phrase it this way, there's no hope for that person. And that's something, the good person who thinks he's good is the worst of that group because there's no hope for that person. So that might be a little bit shocking. Why, why is that the case? Because really, the entire Torah approach to life is predicated on growth. That we're constantly improving, that we're constantly learning more, that we're constantly, you know, there's, there's an idea, which is a very beautiful idea, you can keep it in mind, come Rosh Hashanah. There's the idea of doing tshuva on your tshuva. I don't know if you've ever heard that before which is you might say, you know something, I did something wrong at some point in my life, I did tshuva on that. But now you're at a new higher level in life. And now you can look back at your new higher level and you can say, I can even do more beautiful tshuva on that old tshuva that I did. So again, this is the idea of the teaching from the Baal Shem Tov. Who is the worst of this group? The good person who thinks he's bad, the good person who thinks he's good, the bad person who thinks he's bad, or the bad person who thinks he's good? And the answer is, the worst is the good person who thinks he's good, because he's left himself no room for growth. So again, I'm using this as an, <clears throat> I'm using this as, or I'm offering this as an introduction to our whole conversation about Pesach. Because Pesach is all about going from slavery to freedom, from exile to redemption, from darkness to light. That, that's the idea. That's the idea. In other words, Pesach represents a change and an elevation of whatever state you're in. Do you understand? Now, if you already think that you've arrived then how do you get out of Egypt? <laughs> the whole idea of getting out of Egypt is going from one state to another state. 
So if you're the good person who already thinks that he's good, then how are you getting out? You're trapped in your own goodness. So maybe you say, okay, well, wait a second. Maybe I already arrived. But did you already arrive? Because what is, if you want to do sum up all of reality in one sentence, right? I'll offer you one, one way to do it. All of life, all of reality is about the interaction between the finite and the infinite. Right? That, there you go, right there. You can stop right there. God is infinite, we're finite. Our, f our finitude, our finiteness, is engulfed within the infinity of God. But nonetheless, what it tells us is that if we're finite and God is infinite, <clears throat> there never ceases to be an opportunity where we can grow and expand and take on even more light, become a vessel for even higher light and higher light and higher light and higher light. It never ends. And I'll tell you something else. It doesn't end in this world and it doesn't end in the next, in the next world. What's the whole idea? What, what do we say to everybody who's, who's commemorating a yard site, right? We should all live long. But someone who's commemorating a yard site, what does everybody say? May the neshama have an aliyah. Which means that the journey of the soul, even in the next world, is to go up and up and up and up. Which means even the soul, after it's left, it's, after it's left our body is still finite compared to the infinity of God. So the journey of a person from this world to the next never ceases leaving Egypt and going to a higher place of light in this world and in the next world. Remember, I always like this visual, which is, I'm sure you all know what the word horizon means, but I'll just review it with you. So when you're standing on the beach and you're looking at the ocean, you know that straight line across where the ocean meets the sky? That's the horizon. So maybe you'd say to yourself, wow, it would be so cool to go to where the ocean meets the sky. I want to, I want to go to the horizon. So you get in the water and you start swimming and the most amazing thing happens. The horizon gets just a little bit further away. <laughs> and you say, well, wait a second, I, I'm not a dummy. I know what to do. I'll get in a speedboat. <laughs> so you get in a speedboat and you go even faster. And guess what? To the degree of your velocity toward the horizon, the horizon recedes a little bit further away. You never catch the horizon. That's the interplay between the soul and Hashem between the finite and the infinite. Now, if you are the despondent type, <laughs> you might say, well, that's no fair. In other words, I'm, I'm condemned to failure, right? That's, that's my fate in life, never to reach it. So that's a completely inside out, backward, I'll even use the word, which I rarely use, wrong way to look at things. Rather, God gives us infinite opportunities for closeness. And each time we get closer, we go higher. It's amazing.
It's amazing. So God has basically structured the universe in a way where we just go higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And it never stops. And again, that's the idea, one of the levels of Pesach, which is you're leaving this, this former level and you're entering into an even higher level. So I want to tell you an amazing teaching I, I learned from Rabbi Moshe Wilson, Shlita, in his, you know, amazing series. And he brings a Torah from the Satmar Rebbe, from the Divra Yol. Okay, so a lot of people want to know, and the Torah addresses this question also. Why are we eating matzah? And, and so the classic answer for why we're eating matzah is because when God said, leave Egypt, we didn't hang around. It was like, time to go. And so even the dough that was rising, that was being made ready for bread, didn't have time to rise. The Berdichever Rebbe points out that Pesach has this, this love affair between us and God expressed in two names of Pesach. One is Pesach. That's the name that we usually use. But if you look in the Torah, there's another name for Pesach as well, which is Chag HaMatzot, the holiday of matzahs. Remember, there are all these different modes of relationship that we have with God, that, that God himself refers to throughout Tanakh. One of them is king. We're very familiar with that, Rosh Hashanah. And like a vino malcano. Another one is father, like parent, right? Another one is best friend. That's amazing. Another one is twin. That's incredibly deep, right? Why does God call himself our twin? Because people judge God by our behavior. Isn't that amazing? That, that's incredible. And that's sort of like a, that's a double-edged sword. That's good news and bad news. The bad news part of that is that we have such a thing called a Chilul Hashem, which is that people look at our bad behavior sometimes, and they decide that they give God a bad reputation based on our actions, which is nuts, but it happens. Turns people off to God. What, what do I have to do with God? God created the entire universe. I just cheated at business. What does that have to do with God? But, but no, people are like, hey, Obviously, this is what God is. So that's twins. Now, that's the bad side of it. Let me tell you the, the happy side of it, because there's great news about it. Now, I'm going to give you a mathematical equation right now, which is from the Gomorrah. This is not mine. This is from the Gomorrah. Anytime you see something negative in the Torah, you ready for this? It's 500 times more true for the positive. That's from the Talmud, which means... That if you do something good, you have the ability to give God a good reputation. Can you imagine? You give tzedakah to someone, you are with someone in a moment of their need, and all of a sudden they go, wow, God is so great. Just because of something you did. All right? So now another, my favorite modularity, by the way, in terms of relationships is God actually refers to us, himself rather, as our big sister at one point in Tanakh. I think that's amazing. 
That blow, maybe because I'm a man, but that blows my mind that God refers to himself as our big sister. But God is also our lover. That's Shlomo Amelech in Shir Shirim and Rabbi Kiva, right? Moshe Rabbeinu said in the Medrash, God, why did you give the Torah to me? Why didn't you give the Torah to Rabbi Akiva? So Rabbi Akiva is the, the greatest. He says that this modularity, God as our lover, is the holy of holies. That's Rabbi Akiva talking. Okay, so what does that mean, actually? That means that God loves us so much and that he's so intimately involved in every aspect of our life. That's what that means. Okay, so let's get back to these two names of Pesach. So in Shir Shirim, maybe the most famous line in the Song of Songs is, Ani ledodi vedodi li. I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. And believe it or not, what do we read on Shabbos of Pesach? Shir HaShirim. Why are we reading that? Because of these two names of Pesach, says the Berditch of Rebbe, which is Chag HaMatzot and Pesach. Each one is an endearment that God is giving to us and that we're giving to God. We say, we call it Pesach because we're like, God, you took us out of Egypt, right? That is awesome. Thank you, God, so much. It's a term of love. And God calls it Chag HaMatzot, which is that when I told you to leave, you left so fast the dough didn't even become bread. It just stayed matzah. So that's like this, this little love story that's going on, you know, in a very subtle way amidst the verses of the Torah describing Pesach, Passover. Okay. But now I want to get back to what Rabbi Wolfson said from the Divrei Yol, from the Satmar Rebbe. Amazing, amazing teaching. He says, you know, that's all well and good. I'm putting this in my words. <laughs> I don't think the Satmar Rebbe said that's all well and good. But anyway, in colloquially phrased, I'm paraphrasing, that's all good that, uh, that you left so fast that the matzahs didn't have time to rise. But let's go a little bit deeper. Let's get a little bit more metaphysical. You see, there are 50 levels of Kedusha. The top of heaven is the number 50. And by the way, we're going, to, that's going to be a, a very practical teaching. That's not going to be just sort of like, you know, cartography of the heavens here. Like, you know, we're making charts of like the universes. It's going to be very practical in a moment because we are about to count 50 days between leaving Egypt, which is the first day of Pesach, and the holiday of Shavuos when we get the Torah at Mount Sinai. So that, that number 50 is going to be a very real construct that we're going to be living with over the next seven weeks. And of course, it makes sense that 50 is the top of heaven because where did Moshe Rabbeinu go? To the top of Mount Sinai? And then the verse in the Torah says, heaven came down to earth. Heaven came down to the top of Mount Sinai, right? Moshe entered into heaven to get the Torah. Amazing thing. On the 50th day, no coincidence, because 50 is the top of heaven. That's called the Shar Chamishim, the 50th gate. Okay, very good. Well, guess what? So slightly more complicated than that. 
Because on the first night of Pesach, that level of the 50 comes all the way down to ground level. And that's like the amazing thing of God just absolutely transforming nature and smashing everything. Remember, the Haggadah says something that's a little bit hard to understand, which is there's a line that it just mentions, just asserts, just like very casually, which is that if God hadn't taken us out of Egypt, we would still be slaves to Para. So you might scratch your head over that. You might say, really? 3,300 years later, we would still be slaves in Egypt? Really? But you know some things? There's a lot of different forms of slavery. One of the forms of slavery is mental slavery. And there's a miracle that was done on behalf of the Jewish people. Rashi says that it was one of the greatest miracles Hardly ever discussed, by the way. But you can see it, it's right in the Chumash. You see, so many of us are slaves to different things. We're slaves to acceptance from other people. We're slaves to other people's opinion. I once saw an interesting definition of what it means to be charismatic. A charismatic person doesn't care what you think. (laughs) interesting and so because if you think about charismatic people they're like they're doing stuff that's a little bit unconventional a little bit different where do they get the chutzpah the strength to sort of like be a little bit of a free agent and it's because they you know it doesn't mean that they're not respectful of other people doesn't mean that they don't have manners but there's a certain enslavement to other people's approval that they haven't shackled themselves with. And so you're able to really express a little bit more of your life force in this world. And when more life force is coming out, that pulls other people in. That would sort of be the metaphysics of charisma. (laughs) So anyway, the idea is on Pesach, The night of Pesach, the 15th of Nisan, remember, the 15th, we still haven't said what the Divrei Yol says, but we're getting to it. So remember what, what the 15th of Nisan means. See, I'm sad a little bit that, you know, we've got Chag HaMatzot, that's one name for Pesach. We've got Pesach, that's another name for Pesach. But there's really another name that really gets buried and lost in the shuffle. And, and that makes me a little bit sad. I'll tell you why. And that is the 15th of the month of Nisan. Because the 15th of the month of Nisan is a banger term. That is, if you were to have in front of you, spread out all of the months of the year, right? You've got all 12 or 13 months of the year in front of you. You, like, you have a calendar and you ripped out all the pages and you got the whole year in front of you. And now you're looking, someone asks you, where is the headquarters of miracles? Where is it? And it's not even a question. You point right away to the 15th of the month of Nisan. Remember, Nisan, that's the month that Pesach takes place in. Nisan has a word in it, which is nes. Nes means miracle. 
So, so Pesach happens in the month of miracles. Now remember the Maharal. I think this is a really like bread and butter piece of Jewish education. So please try to remember this. The full moon, every, every different month, has a different personality to it. Remember, time itself has no power. Only God has power. And yet time is not a par of entity. In other words, the Jewish view of time is that time has a personality. And all moments are not created equally. Some moments in time are holier than other moments in time. Okay? This, you just have to just understand that time expresses itself in a very interesting, creative, beautiful way. Okay. <clears throat> now, Nisan is the month of miracles. Now, the Maharal says, the full moon of every month, that's the time when the personality of the month most fully expresses itself. Isn't that interesting? Now, on the Jewish calendar, the full moon of every month is the 15th of the month. Ah, so now let's put all those thoughts together. That means Pesach night happens on the fullness of the miraculousness of the month of miracles. It's the miracle day. It's the miracle day. So when God took us out of Egypt on that day, he basically transformed everything. We would have still been slaves in Egypt one way or another, either physically, if you want to take it on a literal level, or mentally and emotionally. Now, what is that miracle that I referred to a little bit while ago from, from Rashi? After we crossed the Red Sea, there was one more miracle. Like the Red Sea splitting and then closing on the Egyptians is so miraculous what more do you need to discuss? You know what I mean? It's crazy I'm making this association, but I'll tell you anyway. My father was a therapist. He did a lot of marriage therapy, okay? And, you know, people, you know, people who were drawn toward adulterous affairs, unfortunately, sad as it is, that's one of the things that they would discuss in, in, in therapy, as well they should if a person is, you know, having issues with that. So my father would say the following thing. He would say, if you just had a full, delicious meal at a restaurant, do you walk out of the restaurant and look at your next place to eat? You don't. You don't. You just had a full, satisfying meal at a restaurant. You walk out and you're looking for, let's see, I just left Pat's. Oh, Schnitzli's is open. Like, who goes to Schnitzli's after Pat's? No one, right? <laughs> Nothing against Schnitzli's. But it's sort of like, so, so in other words, in other words, in a relationship, you have to ask yourself, like, what's going on with me if, if, if I'm looking? If I'm looking. But, but the point is, is that after the splitting of the Red Sea, do we really need to make that story more miraculous? <laughs> we don't. We, we just walked out to the full, most amazing experience with God. And yet, there was another miracle. What was the miracle? 
We thought, remember, there's different forms of slavery. There's physical slavery, and then there's slavery inside your mind. Okay? AKA, also known as addiction. And today, there is no limit of things to be addicted to. And if you have addiction problems, let me, let me give you a nice, simple definition of, of addiction, okay? And I'm not a doctor, okay? But I do believe that this is a, a reasonable definition. If you are drawn toward a behavior, whatever that behavior is, and you find yourself doing something when you don't want to be doing it, I'm defining that as addiction, okay? I'm going to say that again. If you are drawn toward a behavior that you do not want to be engaging in, and yet you do it anyway, that means there's a compulsive relationship with that thing. That compulsive relationship driving you towards something that you don't want to be doing, that you know better, at least in your head, that you shouldn't be doing, that's addiction. And if you are experiencing addiction, there's help. There's a million different organizations for every different type of addiction. Gambling is an addiction. Drugs are an addiction. Alcohol is an addiction. Eating is an addiction. Online pornography is an addiction. All these things are addictions. And we've got to get out of all of these Egypts, right? Rabbi Tversky, Rabbi Avram Tversky has a special Haggadah all about leaving the Egypt of addictions. You can go and you can buy that, you can look it up. It's considered really one of the better Haggadahs. Okay, so, so we still had this mental attachment. Even after we left Egypt, even after we crossed the Red Sea, we were thinking, what if the Egyptians are gonna chase us down and catch us? It was in the back of our mind. And you know what Hashem did? He made one more miracle. And you can look it up in the Rashi. It's right there in black and white. After the Red Sea covered over all of the people, all the Egyptians, their bodies flew up in the air. And we were able to see, and then they dropped back down in the sea. Having crossed the Red Sea, the Jewish people were able to look back on the closed Red Sea again where allegedly the Egyptians had been killed. But look at this level of chesed, this level of love that God gave us, that he wanted to give us divine reassurance. It's right there in the Rashi. That the Egyptian dead bodies rose up, flew up in the air, so that we could see and it would click in our brains, our oppressor is God. We have no more oppressor. And then the bodies drop back down into the sea. You see, Seder and Pesach is not just about running from something. It's about running to something. If you're just running from something, you're not free yet. You might be out of jail, you might be out of a toxic relationship. But if it's still in your mind and you're still afraid of it, you're not free yet. 
God took us out of Egypt in order to serve him. God wiped our mind clean and gave us divine reassurance. Menucha senefes, right? A settled mind, a tranquil soul. Why? So that we could dedicate ourselves with all of our heart and all of our mind to God. Because he didn't want us just running from something. We now have the most awesome, awesome, awesome privilege of running to something, receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. But for that, we had to have our whole heart and our whole mind free. So God made this extra miracle. All right, so now let's get back to the Satmar Rebbe. He says the following, do you know why the matzahs didn't rise? Because the 50th level of Shemayim, the top of Shemayim, went all the way down and there can't be any chametz. Chametz, remember, that's the leaven. That's when, when matzah gets puffed up, we liken that to ego. What, what's ego? Ego is not self-esteem. Remember, everybody needs very strong, healthy self-esteem. That's the engine for everything. For your whole life, for your whole divine service, you need healthy self-esteem. Okay? But... Don't attribute power to yourself that you don't have. That's ego. Okay? You got to think of yourself as great. You got to know that you've got a piece of God inside of you, that God is rooting for you, that everything that happens, even if it seems like a setback, is God guarding you and protecting you and guiding you and loving you. You got to see everything like that. <clears throat> but at the same time, don't attribute power to yourself that you don't have. So when the, when the matzah gets all puffed up and becomes bread, that's ego. That's you attributing power to yourself, which is just, you're full of air. <laughs> you know, by the way, why is Chicago called the Windy City? Does anyone know? It's not because of the breezes that blow off, is it Lake Michigan? That's not why. It's because of all of the politicians who are all windy. <laughs> They're all puffed up with air. That's where that expression comes from. Okay, Chicago, everybody knows, is like one of the epicenters of like politics and local politics and, you know, in its grandest slash worst form. Okay? So that's, that's why 100 or more years ago, it got, it got the name the Windy City. So when we attribute power to ourselves, we puff ourselves up, right, with false ego, and that's what we want to get rid of. And that's called chametz, which is also associated with something a little bit more scary with the Yetzirah, right? Because the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, wants to seduce us to think that we're more powerful than we are. Remember, what does Rebbe Nachman say? This is, again, a banger insight into human nature. He says, that, do you know where anger comes from? People get angry. You know why? You know what the root cause of anger is? You ready for this? Arrogance. Arrogance. Why? Because it didn't go my way. And now I'm angry. Who says it should go your way? <laughs> Who says everything has to go your way? Well, show me where it's written. I want to know where it's written. 
I came into this world under the condition that everything has to go my way. Where, where is that written? Is that written anywhere? You know where it's written? It's written on our own arrogance. That's where it's written. Which we have to toss out. So next time you get frustrated, you're allowed to get frustrated, by the way, just by, but you have to really guard that boundary between frustration and anger. You can be disappointed. That's fine. But again, you have to really guard that boundary between disappointment and frustration and anger. Because anger has a secret extra added message to it, which is chametz gamor, 100% chametz, which is how dare it not go my way? How dare it not go my way? Okay. So now, the Divra Yol, the Satmar Rebbe, says the following thing. Do you know why matzah didn't rise? Because this highest level of heaven came down, the 50th level of Shemayim came down, broke all of the bounds of slavery, mental, physical, and everything like that. And chametz can't stand before the revelation of heaven. There is no arrogance in the presence of the divine light. So literally, on a metaphysical level, the dough could not rise. Do you understand? Do you understand how deep this is? It's not just that we were in a hurry, therefore circumstantially it didn't rise. There was no chametz. There's no... Can you imagine standing in front of the throne of glory and bossing God around? It's like, what? No. It won't even occur to you. It's not that you're not going to do it, or I'm going to be really good, I'm going to stop, I'm going to behave, I'm going to behave, God. No, no, no. You, angels don't have free choice. Do you know what that means? That means angels, they don't see all of God, but they see a quantum higher level of God. They are immobilized, immobilized by the awesomeness of God to the point where they can only do what God wants. That's the idea of matzah, dough, in the presence of Hashem. In the presence of this 50th level. It, it doesn't even occur to the matzah to rise. It doesn't occur to the matzah to rise. So, so now you've got a higher appreciation for why all the Rebbes, all the Kabbalists say matzah is medicine. When you are eating matzah at the Seder, you are ingesting something that is beyond. Right? Remember, there's a teaching that came to me a little while ago, which I, I love. Man, man was fully digested. That's the bread that fell from heaven. The word for heaven in Hebrew is shamayim. What was the blessing that they made on the man in, the, in Egypt? Baruch Right? The Chasim Sofer brings that. It's the blessing they said in the desert over the man. Incredible, right? Blessed are you, God, King, Master of the Universe, right? Who's blessed us with, with bread that's come forth from heaven. So man, what was man? Crystallized light. 
and amazing? We were eating light for 40 years. And it was fully digested, fully absorbed. It says that we didn't go to the bathroom because there was no, what? There was no waste. It was fully absorbed within our body. Now, matzah, we also don't go to the bathroom, but it's a different, <laughs> different idea. It's a different idea. <laughs> I, I have to apologize to the covet of matzah. I couldn't, couldn't stop myself from making that joke. So anyway, the, <laughs> the, the idea is like this. What is the gematria of the word man? 90. Mem nun is how you spell man. That's 90. Now, which letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the number 90? And it's, it's the letter tzadi or tzadik. Okay? Why, why is the tzadik called a tzadik? If you can picture the letter in your mind, it's actually the letter nun bent over with a yid, with a yud on its back. In other words, who is a tzaddik? Someone who's carrying another person, another needy Jew, on their back. So the, the letter tzaddik actually expresses this very beautiful idea of caring for another person in need. So how do you spell, so what did we just say? Man is the number 90. 90 is the letter tzaddik. How do you spell matzah? Mem tzaddik. Hey, in other words, it's Sadik, which is the gematria of man, is the middle, level, little, middle letter of matzah, meaning to say the panemius, the inside of matzah is man. Right? The inner essence of matzah is man, because that middle letter stands for the mana that fell from heaven. Remember, mana is 90. 90 is the letter tzadi. Tzadi is the middle letter of matzah. The essence, the inner essence of matzah is this heavenly man, right? And that's the idea that when the 50th level of heaven came down, the bread could not rise. It could not rise, right? So, so here you see that matzah has this heavenly aspect to it, as does man, right? Awesome, awesome. So, there's something that came to me. I want to share it with you. We call the service that we're about to do on the night of the 15th of Nisan, we call it the Seder. And if you actually think about that for a moment, it's actually somewhat hilarious. Because Seder means order. And is there anything more chaotic than a Seder? <laughs> Seders are utterly chaotic, right? You're covering the matzah, you're uncovering the matzah, you're drinking, you're pouring for each other. You're, it's, it's, there, there's a, a custom, my daughter told me, I, I don't think many people do it today. It's, it's from hundreds of years ago. At one point, people would lift up the entire table, right? You're taking the plate off the table. You're putting it back on. All, all sorts of things. So, so the Seder plate actually has six different ingredients on it. 
Okay, that's where the charosis is and the maror. If you count the different items, the shank bone, if you count the different items on the Seder plate, there's six different items. Now, that stands for the six spherot, right? These are the divine energies that God created the world with. He created the world with ten energies and actually represented on the Seder table are these ten things, says the Ari. You've got the six things on the, on the plate. The plate itself is seven. By the way, the plate itself stands for Malchus. Those six items stand for Zer Anpin, if you know a little Kabbalistic terminology. That's Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Netzach, Hod, and Yesod. Okay, those are those six items. Then the plate itself is Malchus. Okay, the three matzahs are the top three, Hach, Mabina, and Das. So you've got all ten there. But let's just talk about the more chaotic elements of the Seder for a moment. Those six things on the plate. They don't just stand for six different spherot, six different divine energies. They also stand for six different directions. Again, what I'm trying to do is highlight the chaotic nature of the Seder. What do the six things represent on another level? Up, down, east, west, north, and south. Those are the six different directions, okay? In other words, everything is going in a chaotic way. Everything is going. Because, again, the way we started was, who is the worst of these four people? The good person who thinks he's good? The good person who thinks he's bad? The bad person who thinks he's good? Or the bad person who thinks he's bad? And what did the Baal Shem Tov say? The good person who thinks he's good, there's no hope for that person. <laughs> that person thinks they've already arrived. What is Seder all about? Seder is all about making progress. Remember, it's slavery to freedom. It's exile to redemption. It's darkness to light. So these, this Seder plate is going in every possible different direction, up, down, east, west, north, south. That's this active, dynamic energy of transformation, which is right at the epicenter of the table. How do you harness that energy in a positive way? And now here's the insight that I want to share with you. I want to suggest to you that the people sitting around the table that's the Seder. That is what's bringing order to the chaos. The love between the people at the Seder itself is bringing the harmony to the chaos of life. I'm going to say that again. Chaos is the procedure of the Seder. What is the Seder itself? What is the order? Seder means order. What is the order itself? The Seder is the people sitting around the table and the love between the people around the table, which is bringing order to the chaoticness, to the chaos of life. <clears throat> Everybody knows if someone is going through a difficult period, 
and you're there for them, and you're able to express love for them, do you know what? Maybe it doesn't make the bad time that the person is experiencing vanish, but you know what? It gets a little bit easier at that moment for the person. It gets a little bit less chaotic. You are able to bring order to their life by expressing love. Now, I was very excited this week because, you know, it's very important not just to have great teachings, but you have to know who said the teachings. And I try to be very careful about that. You know, some people don't like to say when it's their teaching because they they feel maybe there's a shred of arrogance in that. I know someone who's very special when he has code, here's, he has a code phrase for when he wants to tell people, this is my teaching, because he doesn't feel comfortable saying, I came up with this idea. So he says, so there's a teaching, I'm still trying to find the source. <laughs> That's code for I said it. <laughs> is that something? So, so anyway. I always try to tell you the sources and and everything like that. But there's one teaching, which is one of my all-time favorite teachings. You've probably heard me say it many times. I found the source for it this week, and boy, was it worth the wait, because it, it couldn't be a better source. Okay? And it's very much related to what we've been talking about right now, which is, you see, okay, here's a great piece of information. The Vilnagon says calls Seder night a rich night. Why? Because if you complete the Seder, you leave the Seder table having fulfilled 64 mitzvahs. 64 mitzvahs. And the Sanzer Rebbe would hold his stomach after the Seder and he would say, oh, you're so lucky. You have so many mitzvahs inside of you. Right? So it's easy with all of the chaotic activity and all the pyrotechnics going on in terms of conducting the Seder itself, it's easy to lose sight of the headline. What is the headline? The people around the table. That's the headline. Pesach night is the rarest of nights when people's hearts are open and you can put emuna in people's hearts. It's a night where you can transact faith. Emuna means faith. You can actually put faith in people's hearts and in your own heart. Pesach night. Because all of the gates are open. All of the gates are open. And so here's the gematria. Here's the teaching that I found the source to. What did I say? The people around the table, that's the Seder providing the order. By the way, I'll give you a Kabbalistic support for this. I didn't know this teaching when, when I came up with this idea. But the Ari says that you've got the six different directions. Those are the or the six different spherot, which are also the six different directions on the Seder plate itself. Again, that's the shank bone, the charosis, the maror, all those things. 
But the plate itself, that which rings the plate, is Malchus. That's the name of this dimension that we live in, Malchus. In other words, that's what gives order. That's why, like, when you put a cup of water on the table, it doesn't turn into a bat and crash through your window, (laughs) right? Because Malchus, at a certain point, like, the energy levels have stabilized, and there's this order to creation. That's what we call nature. Nature all of a sudden solidifies and kicks in. Okay? So just like there's the relationship of the plate, which is Malchus, and that's sort of like stabilizing the six energies, well, what I'm saying is the people ringing the table are bringing Seder to the chaos of life. You understand? So this is really based... I, didn't wear, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but there's a very nice support there from the Ari. Okay. So what's the further teaching? When there's love between the people around the table, that creates oneness. Okay? And that's the gematria. Echad is the number 13. Echad means one. Ava, love, is also the number of 13. That means that there's this amazing connection between the word oneness and love. Love creates oneness. Love creates oneness. And oneness reveals love. It works both ways. And guess who said that? The Ari. No less than the Ari said that. Okay, I'm just going to tell you something that I would whisper into each one of my kids' ears, Seder night. And God should give me the strength to do it again this year, even though they're older now. I would take each one aside, and I would often have to fight back the tears as I would say this to them before the Seder. I would say, Just like God promised to take us out of Egypt, and it took a really long time, but he kept his word, so too God is going to bring Mashiach. And it's taking a really long time, but just like he kept his word and took us out of Egypt, he's going to keep his word and he's going to bring Mashiach as well. Okay, I'll tell you one more thing. The central dynamic of the Seder is asking questions. Remember, we've got two, I told you, you leave the the, the Seder table with 64 mitzvahs having been fulfilled. That's from the Vilna Gon. It's a rich night. However, it's also good to keep all the different levels in mind. There are two mitzvahs der Raisa. Two of the six, a lot of those are from the rabbis, those mitzvahs, which are all 100% true and holy and beyond. But two of the 613 mitzvahs are transacted Seder night. One of them is eating matzah. Okay, even the fourth cup, four cups of wine is from the rabbis. So, and by the way, let me tell you this, because this is awesome. This is a Torah that, that Rabbi Shlomo said, one of the great Torahs in my opinion. And I'm applying it to Pesach, right? Because it's about wine and we're drinking wine. So, 
So he says, everybody loves a finished product. Everybody loves you when you're a grape and everybody loves you when you're wine. He says, but do you know what a grape has to go through to become wine? How much it has to be stepped on and crushed? He says, who loves you when you're in between? He says, those are your real friends. And so I want to apply that to Seder night. When you're sitting around the Seder table and you're a parent looking at your kids or you're a friend looking at your parents or your child looking at your parents or whatever the relationship is going on between the people at the Seder table, you have the opportunity to love another person while they're still in between. And that's what's going to create the love and that's what's going to create the oneness. And that's what's going to create the order which is going to be able to stabilize the chaos of life. You look at another person and you say, you know something, you're in between right now, but I love you right now and I'm your friend. I'm your friend, I'm your parent. I'm, I'm with you on that journey out of Egypt into freedom. I'm with you right now while you're still in between. That's the four cups of one. Okay, so, so what are the two mitzvahs der Raisa, the two of the 613? One is eating matzah. The other is what's called in Hebrew, which means telling the story of leaving Egypt. Now the rabbis really get into this, okay? Because we have another mitzvah, which is to remember that we left Egypt. And so that we have every single day of the year, morning and night. So the rabbis say, well, wait a second. God is giving us a completely separate commandment here. He doesn't want us just to remember that we left Egypt, like just mention it in a prayer. He wants us to fully discuss it and immerse ourselves in that reality. This idea that we left Egypt and we're still leaving Egypt. Okay, so that is the special mitzvah called Higadata Lebincha. And the word Hagada comes from that word, by the way, Higadata, to tell over. But not just to tell over to remember, oh yeah, God took us out of Egypt. No, to fully discuss it. Okay, now to fully discuss it, that sounds a little bit abstract. What constitutes fully discussing? Well, you ready for this? Because, you know, the rabbis are so great with definitions. You say it's good, what's the definition of good? You say you had enough food, what's the definition of enough? <laughs> you say you discussed leaving Egypt, what constitutes discussing? And now we get to the point. Asking questions and giving answers. Okay, let's just recap that point because that's really important. If you want to keep the mitzvah which is one of the 613 commandments, one of the two mitzvahs der Raisa, biblical commandments of Seder night. You can't just read through the Haggadah. You have to actually ask questions and give answers. It has to be on the level of a discussion, not on the level of a recollection. Okay? A discussion has life to it comes alive. A memory can just sort of be a firing of synapses in your brain, and it's over. Okay, 
Now with that in mind, I'm going to tell you something absolutely super cool. You ready for this? You know the four questions, manishtana, the four questions? Have you ever noticed? I never did. Have you ever noticed no answers are given to the four questions? Isn't that wild? That's wild. You've got four different questions and no answers. Because we've got to come up with the answers. Or we have to create the questions. Now, what is a question? There are two different types of questions. One type of question is, where is the grocery store? <laughs> and you tell me, you see that stoplight there? Take a left. That's one category of question where you're trying to acquire a piece of information and then you get some information. All right, so, so there's closure. But there's another type of question, which is where you just articulate the fact that you don't know. <laughs> it's not transactional. You are just expressing wonder. And so I conclude with the following. Seder night is an invitation to wonder. Because the core dynamic of this Seder is the acquisition of wonder. So everyone should ask questions, and it's not just in order to get an answer. God, how did you do it? How did you make an entire universe out of nothingness? God, how is it possible that this tiny people called the Jews have been so precious to you? that you've kept us alive through all of these crazy events throughout history. The only people that survived history. How is it possible, God, with all of the disasters in the world on every level, you are going to make a perfect world you promised, and you're going to keep your promise. How are you going to do it? And when you express questions like this, do you know what you do? You open up your heart, and you know what? You may not give an get an answer. You may not get an answer, but God does give you an answer. Do you know what he does? He might not tell you the answer to your question. God, when is Mashiach coming? You might not know the answer after you express it. But when you ask a question like that, you open up your heart, and do you know what God does? He puts amuna in your heart. He puts faith in your heart, and that is this heavenly transaction that is going on Seder night. You open up your heart, and you might not get an answer, but you know what God gives you? Faith. God gives you faith. And you know what? It must be working, because we're still here. It must be working, because we still believe, and we're still here. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast, where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.